as hard as you can. This is the Zodiac speaking. The Zodiac Killer, who operated in Northern California from the late 1960s to the early 70s, is one of the most notorious serial killers of all time which is somewhat surprising when you consider that his confirmed body count only totaled five victims, a number that pales in comparison to the likes of Ted Bundy, John Wayne Gacy, or the Golden State Killer. But the Zodiac claimed to have killed 37 people in the time he was active. Director David Fincher decided to take on this confounding case in his 2007 film Zodiac, which itself was adapted from the Robert Graysmith book Zodiac, the shocking true story of the nation's most bizarre mass murderer. Fincher's investigative thriller explores the obsession that many developed over time in the search for the Zodiac, like reporter Paul Avery, detectives Dave Toskey and Bill Armstrong, and cartoonist Robert Graysmith. Now we'll try to decipher what the fuck really happened to this movie. Zodiac begins with the killer's second attack, which took place on July 4th, 1969, at a lover's lane in Vallejo, California. Darlene Ferrin and Mike Majot are shot several times by an unknown man, and only Majot survives. In reality, it happened almost exactly like the film shows. While some details can be argued, such as the color of the Zodiac's car, or whether he used a suppressor on his gun, the majority of the details are facts based on Majot's testimony, police reports, and crime scene photos. The number of shots fired is exact, along with where each bullet struck. Even the movie's outfits are accurate, as costume designer Casey Storm had unprecedented access to the actual crime scene photos for reference, and not just in the opening scene, but all throughout the film. The movie then shifts focus from the horrific crimes of the Zodiac to the first of his many letters, which are partially responsible for the serial killer's notoriety. We're introduced to main characters Paul Avery, a journalist for the San Francisco Chronicle, played by Robert Downey Jr., and Robert Graysmith, played by Jake Gyllenhaal, a cartoonist who would write the Zodiac book more than a decade after the early crimes. The Zodiac's letter and its mysterious cipher travel through the various halls of the Chronicle, eventually landing in the hands of the editor who shares it with the staff. As the paper struggles with how to handle the news, Avery contacts the Vallejo Police Department, only to discover that other editorials in the area also received handwritten letters. You guys got one too. The Chronicle decides to run the cipher that Zodiac sent on page four of their evening edition, while the Naval Intelligence Center, the FBI, and the CIA all try their hand at decoding it, we eventually see North Salinas schoolteacher Donald Hardin and his wife Betty viewing the cipher in the newspaper. Well, in reality, the married couple did solve it, as Avery mentions to Graysmith while confirming that the Zodiac wouldn't give his real name. A month and a half later, the story of the Zodiac jumps north to Napa, California on September 27, 1969. Here, we witness the film's next attack against Cecilia Shepard and Brian Hartnell at Lake Berryessa. In what is probably the most grisly scene in the film, the Zodiac ties up the two victims and is seen stabbing them repeatedly. Even this location in the film was eerily accurate. As you might expect, the look of the place had changed over time and Fincher had to go to great lengths to replicate its appearance from the day of the attack, particularly the oak trees where the Zodiac hid. They were simply gone. Production had to fly in oak trees to the location and drill holes into the land and bring in enough water to keep the two trees alive during the shoot. And action. Fincher's attention to detail in this segment of the film is deep, and that's partially because Brian Hartnell, who actually somehow survived the stabbing, served as an advisor to the film. The black costume worn by the attacker is also based on the actual descriptions by Hartnell. Though there is one minor gripe with this scene. 
Before the two victims are approached and attacked, they're shown lying together on a blanket next to the lake. In reality, the two were not romantically involved. While there is no blatant romance in the scene, some fact-checkers have opposed the insinuation, so maybe it's not 100% accurate. As our story jumps ahead two weeks to October 11th, 1969, we get to the Zodiac's next attack on San Francisco taxi driver Paul Stein. This sequence in the film may look different for a good reason. The corner of Washington and Cherry Streets couldn't be used in real life. They wanted to avoid attracting attention to this intersection in the middle of the city, and the area had changed tremendously since the crime was committed. So the entire sequence was shot on a soundstage, using blue screen panels to recreate the look of the street in 1969. It's here that we're finally introduced to homicide detectives Dave Toski, played by Mark Ruffalo, and William Armstrong, played by Anthony Edwards. With baffling details of the scene but no real leads, the crime is ruled as a robbery until three days later. Another letter arrives at the San Francisco Chronicle, and this one includes a piece of Paul Stein's bloody shirt, proving that it was in fact the Zodiac who committed the crime. In this letter, the Zodiac also threatens the lives of schoolchildren, getting off a school bus of his choosing. In reality, this created a public nightmare for school officials and parents, as patrol cars were often out at schools each day, security officials were escorting children to and from buildings, and helicopters participated in flyovers to monitor the area. The detectives and the staff at the Chronicle wonder why the Zodiac would break from his normal routine of attacking couples to kill one random cab driver, which brings both groups to the conclusion that the Zodiac may be trying to change his pattern, which sets the stage for the killer's next supposed appearance. October 22, 1969, less than two weeks after the slaying of cab driver Paul Stein, someone claiming to be the Zodiac requests to call in to a morning talk show to have a conversation with lawyer Melvin Belly. This event in the movie is mostly true. The call was something that actually occurred. Though in real life, the caller wanted to talk with famed attorney F. Lee Bailey and only settled for Melvin Belly upon learning that Bailey was not available. Fincher went to great detail recreating the newscast exactly as it occurred. Sam, you need to tell me what your problem is. I don't want to go to the gas chamber. I have headaches. I kill. You want to live, don't you? Well, this is your passport. How long have you been having these headaches? Since I killed a kid. Talk to us. Just tell us what's going on in, in, inside you right now, Sam. Please. I have headaches. Right. How long have you had those headaches, Sam? I mean, a long time? Since I killed a kid. Did you attempt to call one other time when F. Lee Bailey was with us two or three weeks ago? Yes. Did you try to call us one other time about oh, two or three weeks ago when, when Mel Belli was with us? Yes. Why do you want to talk to me, Sam? I don't want to be hurt. Why is he calling? I don't want to hey, go to the gas chamber. Well, let's find out what, what, why he wanted to talk to Why did you want to talk to Mr. Belli, Sam? I don't want to be hurt. You want to no, it's not him. Unfortunately, those who had previously heard the actual voice of the Zodiac confirmed that the caller's voice was different. As seen in the film, it was believed that the call into the talk show was made by a mental patient. As the film also shows, future letters and phone calls were received by Melvin Belly by someone who claimed to be the Zodiac. Whether or not it was actually the Zodiac can't be said for sure. At this point in the film, Paul Avery and Robert Graysmith begin working together and sharing information and theories about the killings as they bond over glasses of aqua velva. But this moment, and through the entire film, their relationship is almost completely fictionalized. While it is true that the two worked together at the Chronicle at the same time, and were possibly acquaintances, any type of direct collaborating on the Zodiac case was done strictly for the film. Graysmith doesn't even mention it in his book, which the film was based on. 
While we're on the topic, it's safe to say that in a film that seems to regard the truth so seriously, its depiction of Paul Avery is perhaps its biggest flaw. Have you considered the killer might be Paul Avery? Frequently. As the film goes on, Avery is seen walking out of the Chronicle over frustration with the case, which wasn't actually true. There are multiple scenes where it's implied that Avery's life was simply ruined by the case never being solved, which also wasn't accurate. In the film, Graysmith visits Avery on his houseboat to discuss his idea for a Zodiac book, and Avery lashes out at him. That moment is also complete fabrication. Paul Avery was never self-destructive over the Zodiac case, and actually went on to do many incredible works in journalism, including his coverage of the Patty Hearst case. Avery worked in crime reporting for the rest of his life, until he ultimately passed from emphysema, which the film does mention in its afterword. Fast forward to March 22, 1970, on Highway 132 near Modesto, California. In one of the most chilling moments of the film, Kathleen Johns is urged to pull her car over by another vehicle. The driver claims her rear tire is loose and that he will tighten the lug nuts for her. He instead loosens the wheel, causing it to fall off as Kathleen drives away. The man then offers to give Kathleen a ride to a gas station. Are you okay? After she gets into his vehicle with her infant, he begins to make veiled threats to her, though the film takes some liberties with what those threats exactly were. Before I kill you, I'm gonna throw your baby out the window. If you notice, this scene is also shot quite differently from the other attacks earlier in the film, because this is the beginning of a new category of crimes. The film has moved on from the ghastly murders we saw earlier, all confirmed to have been at the hands of the Zodiac, to this incident with Kathleen Johns and her baby, which is the first of many that the public or the Zodiac himself laid claim to, despite lacking legitimate proof of his involvement. Fincher wanted this scene to look and feel different, the earlier murders showed someone committing and walking away from the crimes, because there was either a survivor or a witness that could connect the Zodiac to it. The Kathleen Johns incident did take place, and Johns named the suspect as the Zodiac, after she saw his wanted poster at the sheriff's station. And while Zodiac himself wrote a letter claiming it was him that kidnapped Johns, he provided no evidence, as he had done with his previous victims. This was the first of many crimes that was never confirmed to be by his hand. It's at this point in the film that Avery theorizes that Zodiac is not committing many of these crimes, and that he's only looking for more press. Although in actuality, it was the police and not Avery who concocted that theory. The Zodiac started writing many letters to the San Francisco Chronicle and other editorials, taking responsibility for various crimes, but he only used details found in the newspapers. These were crimes that he did not commit, as actual evidence linked to other perpetrators. But this started the theory that the Zodiac was merely claiming these crimes for the attention. In late October 1970, a Halloween card was delivered at the San Francisco Chronicle, addressed to Paul Avery, misspelled as Averly, just one of the Zodiac spelling errors. In the movie, Avery opens up an envelope to find a Halloween card, which includes another piece of Paul Stein's bloody shirt inside. Fuck! Oh, fucking crap! In reality, Avery did receive a Halloween card believed to have come from the Zodiac, but there was never a piece of bloody cloth included with it. But it is true that the Zodiac had actually threatened Paul Avery, the only person that the killer threatened by name. As soon as the threat was made public, hundreds of campaign-style buttons were made, saying, I am not Paul Avery. Everyone on staff at the Chronicle began wearing the buttons on a regular basis. You should sell these. Including Avery himself. Hey, bullet. Been a year and a half, you gonna catch this fucking guy or not? At this point in the film, the detectives find themselves back to square one, listening to every tip and following every lead phoned in by concerned citizens, leading Detective Armstrong to Donald Cheney, 
In the film, Cheney implies that his former friend, Arthur Lee Allen, once quoted directly from the book, The Most Dangerous Game, when talking about hunting humans. Cheney also claims that Allen talked about attacking a school bus to pick off the little darlings as they tried to escape, exactly as the Zodiac threatened to do in one of his early letters to the Chronicle. In reality, Cheney did meet with police and did implicate Arthur Lee Allen. But not only did Cheney never mention the most dangerous game to investigators, he also completely botched several dates which were crucial to the evidence behind Allen as a suspect. In the film, Cheney says that Allen was disgruntled about losing his teaching job and is positive that he never saw Allen again after his unsettling conversation. In reality, Allen lost his teaching job in March 1968, three months after the alleged conversation between Cheney and Allen, which would essentially negate Cheney's whole story. Nevertheless, this conversation did, in both film and reality, introduce the most popular suspect in the case, Arthur Lee Allen. A tense interview with Allen actually happened. While much of what's seen in the film is true, such as the Zodiac watch that Allen owned and the knives in his car that he randomly mentions, there were some discrepancies. Allen never actually wore boots that matched the tracks left behind at the Napa Valley murders, despite that moment of focus in the film. He also never spoke the line that's one of the best moments in the film. I'm not the Zodiac, and if I was, I certainly wouldn't tell you. Ultimately, he was ruled out as a suspect. Although there were mountains of circumstantial evidence against Allen, any physical evidence, like DNA, fingerprints, or handwriting, all ruled out Allen as a suspect, at least with the police. It was only Robert Graysmith that continued to pursue Allen. As the film continues, we see Graysmith becoming consumed by the case. This is true, and it actually did ruin his family life. According to the real Graysmith, his obsession with the case gradually overwhelmed and unraveled all aspects of his life that weren't connected to the Zodiac. Although one notable embellishment in the film was any kind of discussion with Melvin Belly's housekeeper about a pertinent phone call with the Zodiac. There are many other details that the film nails perfectly, such as Majot identifying Arthur Lee Allen as the attacker in the closing moments. I'm very sure that's the man who shot me. The Zodiac case did also inspire the fictional antagonist Scorpio and Clint Eastwood's detective from the 1971 movie Dirty Harry, which is referenced in Fincher's film as a moment of frustration for Dave Tosky. Speaking of Tosky, as Avery briefly mentions in the film, actor Steve McQueen really did model the title character of Bullet on the bow-tie-wearing, animal-cracker-loving detective. And Tosky really was accused of forging the 1978 Zodiac letter himself, only to later be cleared of the allegation. Also, the Zodiac case did indeed have other suspects, like Rick Marshall and Bob Vaughn, who were only briefly, but accurately, discussed or depicted in the film. It is somewhat disappointing that there wasn't more time dedicated to other suspects that hadn't been ruled out like Alan was, but that probably would have pushed Fincher's movie to over three hours. So, while Zodiac does have some deviations from reality for dramatic purposes, such as Paul Avery's arc and the invention of his relationship with Graysmith, David Fincher clearly created an effective film that went to great lengths to present its story as truthfully as possible. As for the actual Zodiac Killer, his true identity is still unknown, and the case remains open. He could still be out there, somewhere, waiting. Thank you for watching. If you like what you see, please subscribe to our Joe Blow Videos channel, tell your friends who like this sort of content, and turn on the bell to receive notifications for all our latest videos. We are an independent company and we appreciate your support.